Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you fulfilled your promise by sending the gift of the Holy Spirit to unite disciples of all nations in the cross and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. By the preaching of the gospel, spread this gift to the ends of the earth, through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. According to the Barna Research Group, one out of every seven people in America will look for a new church this year. Does that surprise you? One out of every seven people in America will look for a new church this year. Let me ask you this. If you had to look for a new church, what would you look for? What would be the tipping point for you whether or not you joined that church? What factors would you consider before you ever join a new church? As a church consultant, we ask that question of a lot of people. Let me read you a few of the responses we have received over the years. We ask this question, what would you look for if you had to join a new church? People said, how close is it to my home? Is it air-conditioned? Does it have a nursery for my babies somewhere close to the worship center? Does this church have people my age who come to this church? Do these people and I have the same socioeconomic backgrounds? Does this church take good care of its facilities. Is the music any good? Can the pastor hold my attention? Now, by the way, these are like the top eight or nine responses, and some of you are probably already saying, but so far I haven't heard you talk about, is the Bible preached there? Is it built on God's word? That comes a little bit further down the list. But whatever reasons you may have to use, to choose, to come to a different service, even a better question is not which church would you choose to join, but I'm going to ask this question today. We've been here 90 years. Would Jesus join this church? What do you think? Would Jesus join this church? This morning we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture that Nancy shared with you just a few moments ago. It comes from the second chapter of the book of Acts. It is the day the church began. It was Pentecost Sunday. It was a big feast day in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, all of the disciples of Jesus you knew were gathered in an upper room in a building. They were all waiting as Jesus commanded them to do. Now, suddenly it said there was a sound like a rushing wind. And it kind of filled the room. Could you imagine what happened today if we heard that same noise? Not the noise of an air conditioner. But whoosh, the wind just kind of blew through this place. And it said the disciples, you know, after everybody got these little tongues of fire, they kind of got ignited. It said that the disciples got up and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they suddenly began speaking in other languages. Now, notice I didn't say they began speaking in tongues. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they began speaking in different languages, languages that people could understand. 
People in the street, and if, you, if you've ever been stuck reading that lesson on Acts ch chapter 2, the Parthians, the Phrygians, and all of those kinds of people, they traveled to Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost. They were absolutely amazed that they heard the gospel being preached in a language that they understood. But they were also surprised to see who was speaking their language. The Bible says, how is it that these Galileans know our language? That's kind of like saying, where did these hillbillies learn to speak Greek? I mean, they were talking about a bunch of people that they considered to be kind of backwoods, rednecky kind of people. How is it that they know my language? Now, you got a cynic in every crowd. Some people said, oh, they got to be drunk. That's how it, they're drunk. Other people, and these must have been the Lutherans in the crowd, said, what does this mean? <laughs> and Peter stood up and he said, friends, these men are not drunk. Look at your sundials. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But what is happening today is something that God promised in your Bibles long ago. And he went on to quote those verses that Nancy shared with you before. From Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. He was using some verses that had first been spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the very beginning of a short little sermon that Peter preached. And most of you probably know that when he was done preaching his 10-minute sermon or so... 3,000 people walked the aisle and said, we'll receive Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. Now, I've been a part of worship services where many people walked the aisle and received Jesus. But I don't ever remember baptizing 3,000 of them in one day. That would be quite a trick. That would be quite a treat. That would be something you would never, ever forget. Now, in these few verses that you've already heard, Peter quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Words that came from the mouth of God through that prophet, and we learn about this new thing that God wants to do in the last days with his people. And lest you forget, folks, we are in the last days. So he's telling us what we should expect in our church in the last days. This new thing that God wants to do with his people. He's establishing a church, and we learn what kind of a church he wants that church to become. So this morning, it's not so much about what kind of a church would we like to have, because sometimes those are pretty self-centered ideas about what makes us feel happy. Instead, we want to ask this question, what is it that God is looking for in a church? We're going to kind of look in the mirror of God's word today, and see where we are in terms of what God suggests the church should be. There are three specific things I want to look at this morning. The very first of these is this, that God is looking for a church that is immersed in the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? God's looking for a church that is immersed in the Spirit of God. In these last 25 years or so that I've been a pastor, I have been in all kinds of churches. I have been in Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches, Charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches, non-denominational churches, 
Episcopalian churches, Catholic churches, and some churches that absolutely defy description. I have been in churches in North America, South America, Asia, Africa, India, and Jamaica. And I have noticed in many of these churches a common characteristic. It is a common element that cannot be described by external references. It's this. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know it when you see it. You know it when you feel it. When the Spirit is there, you recognize it. Wayne and I were at a conference not long ago in Dallas, Wayne Cranfield and I, and I remember one of the speakers talked about it. And he said, some churches have it, and some churches do not have it. The churches that do have it know it, and the churches that don't have it don't know it. I think what he was saying is that some churches, it seems, are more immersed in the Spirit than others. I've actually heard some people say, oh, the Holy Spirit, he should keep to himself and stay in the back row. What they mean by that is they say, when the Holy Spirit starts working, guess what? Things start getting exciting, and the last thing we want is excitement. You know, the next thing you know, somebody's going to make this new cartwheel down the aisle and handle snakes or something weird like that, when nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I have no interest whatsoever in debating which churches fall into which category, with the exception of one church, this church, First Lutheran Church. I want to make sure that we can do everything we possibly can to be a church that's fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood before the crowd and he quoted some Old Testament verses from the prophet Joel. I'm going to repeat these verses for you. He said, in, these, in the last days, now these are the days you and I are in right now, it's from that day on, God said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, I will cause wonders in the heaven above and on the earth below. See, God wants to move among his people. God wants to do great things. God wants to perform signs and wonders that go way beyond anything that we have ever even imagined. He wants to fill his church, and let's remember this, it's his church. Don't ever go around and tell people, this is my church, or that it's your church. It's God's church. He wants to fill this place with his presence. Now, some of you may already be sitting there thinking, what exactly would these signs and wonders be that you're talking about? If a church is fully immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit suddenly gets unloosed, what kind of stuff could happen in that church? Let me give you a few examples. I think, first of all, we would experience authentic worship together. The Bible says God is looking for people who worship in, what, spirit and in truth. Now, I'm hoping that, like me, you also have a daily time alone with God. I typically like to come to the office early and I take my book of daily prayer. 
I spend time in reading the lessons for that day, going through the prayers, and, and during the day I also have a little bit of a time of worship. And the way I do that is I, I sometimes put a CD in, or more often than not I, I tune into a Christian radio station that's on the web, on my laptop, and, and I find myself singing along with those songs or those hymns. Now I've got to tell you, those times are pretty special. They're very important for me personally, but they'll never replace the experience of what we would call corporate worship. That means getting a whole bunch of God's people together and worshiping Him as one body. After church today, I'm going to head to Louisiana State Prison in Angola, and I'm going to be teaching and preaching there on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And to be honest with you, I can hardly wait to get together to worship with those guys down there. Some really great things have happened in our country in the last 20 to 25 years. It comes from something called the Passion Movement. And the Passion Movement really came out of a bunch of young people who suddenly got very excited about what worship was all about. And a lot of it came out in what many of us would call contemporary Christian music. What's happened is a whole new generation has suddenly discovered what it means to be a Jesus freak. What it really means to be on fire for Jesus. Now we need to be careful though, and I want to, I want to make sure you understand this. We need to be careful though to emphasize that worship is not about chord changes. Worship is not about melody lines. In fact, worship is really not about music at all. I don't care what form you want to talk about. Worship is not about being traditional. Worship is not about being contemporary. Now, we all got our favorite styles of worship, that's for sure. I mean, if I said, how many of you like this or like this? I mean, I know of a Lutheran church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that does a polka mass. Can you believe that coming to communion with polka music? I know of a church in Fort Worth that does a contemporary country western worship service. It's kind of like listening to Garth Brooks, which is not a bad thing sometimes. But see, the experience of connecting with God in worship transcends anything that's ever been written by Chris Tomlin or Martin Luther or John or Charles Wesley. And in the same way, guess what? Worship is not about the preaching. Now, in the South, and I don't know, I haven't heard it too much here in this part of the South, but in the South, a significant number of churches today still use the term preaching service for their Sunday morning gathering. And in many churches, the sermon is the highlight of the entire church service. If you don't believe that, oh, I've been, I've preached in churches like this. The pastor goes, disappears in the back room, he comes to the chair, stairs and he ascends to this lofty high pulpit that raises in the air and then the lights in the church dim and the spotlights focus on the pastor. Boy, if that's not theater, I'm not sure what it is. But we all know we have now come to the high point, some of us think. But friends, I want to tell you something. To call our time together a preaching service is an insult it's an insult to the one that we have come to worship. You did not come here this morning to listen to me preach. I hope that's not the reason you came. 
I'm tempted to say, and I hope that's not the reason you didn't come last week, because I wasn't here to preach. I'm tempted to say that. I didn't say it. Or did I say it? I did say it. You didn't come here to hear me preach. It is my prayer that you came here to experience God. You came here to gather with fellow believers to experience His presence. Now, preaching is certainly part of the service, like the offering, like the script reading, like hymn singing, and on and on. But the focus of the service is not the sermon. The focus of the service must always be the Savior. We are here this morning not to hear some wonderful words. We're not here to, to sing a wonderful song or to hear somebody play a wonderful piece of music. We're here to worship Jesus. To be a church immersed in the Holy Spirit means to be an authentic, worshiping group of people. That's a sign and a wonder. And guess what? When you've been there, you know it. Here's another characteristic of a spirit-filled church. It's that we will experience changed lives among us. This is the part of church that has always fascinated me. Now, quite honestly, I could probably design a really entertaining worship service that would grab your attention, uh, and I could probably make you kind of forget all the, the cares of the world for a period of time, but I can't change lives. Only God can change lives. And it's amazing how it keeps happening in churches all over the globe. I, mean, I could stand here for hours and tell you about people who I have seen whose lives have gone 180 degrees opposite of where they were. There are some of you here who can walk forward and say, I once was blind, but now I'm found. You can say that. I'm going to be worshiping on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday night with people who are some of the most heinous criminals in the state of Louisiana, if not in America, convicted murderers and rapists, who I would willingly and happily and lovingly welcome to be members of this church. Why? Because God has changed their lives. See, God changes lives in ways that preaching cannot. God changes lives in ways that singing cannot. God changes lives in ways that fellowshipping and potlucking absolutely cannot. The teaching, the music, the fellowship are all crucial areas of our ministry, friends, but we don't change lives here. God does. See, when God's Holy Spirit is present in His church, people are made new. Let me give you some examples. I have seen marriages that were on the rocks become completely mended just because of what God has done. Relationships have been restored. Shattered dreams have been put back together. Broken hearts were healed. Lives were changed. People's bodies, mentally, physically, and spiritually, have been all put back together again because that's what God can do. That's what happens when people and churches are immersed in the Spirit of God. There's a third thing that happens in a spirit-filled church, and that's that outsiders can spot it. Oh, take me into, into any church in America, and I can tell you within about five minutes whether they got it or not. I could probably make a pretty good guess whether they don't got it or not. 
There's an old saying that says, people may doubt what you say, but they will always believe what you do. I have a friend who told me that he could probably tell you what kind of a church he was in, sight unseen. And I said, how would you do that? He said, oh, blindfold me, drive me to any church, and just let me stand in the lobby. He said, I can tell you what kind of church it is, whether it's alive or not. I said, how would you do that? He said, well, in a lot of churches, you stand in the lobby, and what are people talking about? Oh, my gosh, there's seven hymns on the hymn board today. Or they're talking about the cowboys, or they're talking about uh, all kinds of different stuff. And then some churches, you go in, and it's always, well, what has Jesus done in your life this week? Oh, it's so good to see. I've been praying for you for a long time. Now, I don't know whether you could do that at every church, but that's kind of an interesting observation. See, the, the reason that most people come to know Jesus today as their Lord and Savior is not because we have satisfied their intellectual curiosity. The reason most people come to Jesus today is because they see the difference that Jesus has made in the lives of people that they rub shoulders with each and every day. I mean, people can tell when you're real. They can tell when you're going through the motions without any emotion. See, when we're real, we are contagious. When we are immersed in the Spirit of God, I'll say this probably tomorrow night down in prison, we smell good in the hood. <laughs> we heard that a couple weeks ago. It's good to smell good in the neighborhood. It's not so good to be a foul smell when we speak ill of each other or ill of our church. Some of you know Garrison Keillor, Prairie Home Companion. Anybody listen to that show besides me? Okay. Garrison Keillor, oh, I wish you've all been listening last night talk about a, a Lutheran pastor having to go to church conference. I'm scheduled to go to the district convention. Well, Garrison Keillor, who's a Lutheran himself, kind of a closet Lutheran, said, if you can't go to church and at least for a moment be given transcendence, if you can't pass briefly from this life to the next, then I can't see why anyone should go just a brief moment of transcendence, being in God's presence, has got to cause you to come out of church a changed person. And that doesn't just happen in Lake Wobegon, folks. It happens everywhere. God says, in these last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. And when I read that, I say, I want to be part of those people. I want to be a church that's totally immersed in the Spirit of God, because that's what God's looking for. You know what else he's looking for? He's looking for a church that includes everyone. I read a story the other day about the guy who founded Habitat for Humanity. And he was telling about a church that he visited down here in the South. I don't remember where it was. And he was amazed when he walked into this church because it had every kind of people you could find, red and yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight, old people, young people, whatever. And he said, how did this happen? He said, well, this used to, he talked to the guy, he said, well, it used to be a little church. And we kind of had the same number of people for a long time. But one day the pastor decided to leave, and so I went and I asked the elders if I could be the preacher. And they said, okay. He said, and on the very first Sunday, I stood up and I read from the Bible about how God includes everybody. And if you don't include everybody, then you ain't of God. 
He said, well, people didn't like that, and they complained to the elders. And the guy who founded Habitat said, what did you do when the elders complained? He said, I fired them. Got rid of them. If they're not going to include everybody, don't let them either. He said, I preached that church down to four people. But then slowly but surely, people began to catch on to the idea that God loves everybody. See, verses 17 and 18 says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. It talks about old men, young men. It says, I'm going to pour my spirit upon servants, men and women alike. Now, i got to tell you, when it comes to Scripture, I am a fundamentalist. I make no apologies for being a fundamentalist or a biblicist. That means that I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is absolutely infallible. So when God speaks, like that old E.F. Hutton commercial, I'm going to listen. And when God says he wants to do a certain thing, we need to accommodate his will, whether we like it or not, or whether it goes against our sacred traditions or not. God says it here, plain as day, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, in this sermon, we don't have time to discuss the implications of that, but it, it makes it pretty plain and simple that there are no second-class citizens if everybody's going to do it. We're all called on to be his servants. We're called on to proclaim his message. That's why he, Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That means that we do not exclude anybody in this church. Does it make a difference? their gender or their age or their creed or their color. Now, I remember back when I was about six years old, I wanted to go trick-or-treating. And my grandpa, this is going to show you that I've lived down here a while, bless his heart, <laughs> sometimes didn't think through his parenting decisions very well. He said I was too young to go. Well, the next year when I was about seven and I wanted to go trick-or-treating, he told me I was too old to go. <laughs> Somehow or another, at some point in a 12-month period, I passed that narrow window of time when I could have gone trick-or-treating. <laughs> now, I've got to say, God bless my grandma. <laughs> I got to go trick-or-treating. I tell you that story because unfortunately my grandpa's way of thinking has kind of left its mark on a, a large number of people. I frequently run into people who are convinced that they are either too old or too young to do anything special in the kingdom of God. Now, if there are any young people here this morning, let, let me tell you something. I, I know there's a few of them. There's two of you right here in the front row. Derek, I'll even include you, even though you turned 23 this last week. You need to listen to me. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you now. Yeah, Courtney, I'm talking to you too. Talking to you, young people. Now, you've probably heard at one time or another that you are the church of tomorrow. There's a Hebrew word for that, baloney. Uh, you are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today. God wants to use you today, not tomorrow, not when you grow up, not when you get confirmed. You're never too young to help people. You're never too young to make a difference in somebody else's life. God wants young people to be busy for him. Now I'm going to talk to you old people for a minute. You all know who you are. First of all, you're not really old. Satchel Paige, a former Major League Baseball player, pitched his last game in the Major Leagues 
at the age of what? 59. He once said, age is a ma merely a matter of mind. If you don't mind, it don't matter. He's also the guy said one time, how old would you be if you didn't really know how old you really were? I mean, I look at my grandson every once in a while, and I, he's 20 years old, going on 21. I think, how can that be? I'm only 30. <laughs> or when my kids get to be 44, it's like I get out my driver's license to check the date on there. See, sometimes young people are told that they're the church of tomorrow and that sometimes older people act like they're the church of yesterday. That their, cha their chance or their obligation is now past them. Friends, God has a word for you. He's not through with you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. He wants to use you no matter what your age. Now, I probably should have cleared this with Nancy before I tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It's not all that bad, and I think I got this right. But a year or two ago, somebody asked Nancy whether they, whether she thought I would ever get another call to another church. And I think you said something to this effect. Probably not. He's too old. Does that sound kind of familiar? <laughs> okay. I got to tell you, I... When I heard that, I began to feel a little sorry for myself. And I began to think, well, maybe my window of opportunity is past. I was kind of getting on the border of feeling a little bit useless and a little bit outdated and a little bit obsolete. Then I just gave myself a dope slap and said, that's dumb. Besides, here I am. <laughs> and I'm not done yet. I'm just telling you that because the older we get, we have to guard against that kind of stinking thinking. Your time has not come, and your time is not going to come as far as God's concerned. You're never too old. You're never too young to make a difference. Now, I know in a lot of churches there are young people who say the old people are just a bunch of sticks in the mud. They always want to have things like they've always been. Well, I'm sorry, friends. That can't be true here. We need those seasoned with God's wisdom to continue to dream dreams for the future of God's church. We need to always think in terms of tomorrow and not yesterday. Not long ago, I visited with a group of church leaders, and some of them referred wistfully to the good old days, when the church was smaller and when they knew everybody. And one man even said, oh, I wish we could go back to the way it used to be. Now, I understand how people feel. Every once in a while when I'm listening to an oldie station in my car or on the web, I kind of reflect back on what it was like to grow up in the 50s and the 60s. But you know what? The good old days are gone. I don't care what you do, 1957 is not going to come back. God is looking for a church that sustains itself on dreams and on visions of tomorrow, not on its memories of yesterday. Build on yesterday, yes, but think about the future. God wants to give us visions and dreams of what we can accomplish for his glory to be the kind of church he's looking for. So we can't exclude anybody in this church. Male or female, young or old, rich or poor, red or yellow, black or white, folks, if you've got something against any one of them, I'm going to question your faith and how you really feel about God because God has included everybody. He's included 
the worst people in the world, and guess what? If you're honest with yourself, that's you. That's you. There's one last thing that God is looking for. He's looking for a church that invites his presence. Verse 21 says, Every, Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, he's talking, of course, about our personal salvation. Receiving Jesus, the Savior and Lord. But he's talking about a whole lot more than that. Calling on the name of the Lord is not something that takes place one time when you're confirmed or baptized or walk the aisle or something at a church camp when you sang Kumbaya and had a s'more. It's not just something that happens just on a Sunday morning. Calling on the name of the Lord is how we receive healing. John and Jack, I bet the two of you called on the name of the Lord once or twice in the last year or so. That was a pathway, that was the gateway to healing. And some of the rest of you have done the same thing. Calling on, his, calling on the name of the Lord is the way to experience his presence, his protection, his comfort, his power. Calling on the name of the Lord is the process by which we start telling other people about him, making his deeds known. Calling on his name is the way we work shoulder to shoulder with each other. See, God is looking for a church that's committed to calling upon his name so that we can continue to move among his people. We want to invite people to be among us. And we've got a wonderful opportunity coming up, Vacation Bible School, to invite young people to be here, and, and, and invite people to be a part of it, and then to invite people to come to be a part of the adult thing. You'll be blessed by what Matt Gain, a young man we're going to bring in, will share with you about creationism and, and the basics of God's Word. See, every time we come together as His people, we want to call upon the name of the Lord. In fact, the prayer we ought to pray every day, every Sunday, when we come in, get up in the morning, when we come to worship His Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Let me go back to our original question. Would Jesus join this church? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Would Jesus join this church? Well, are we a church that's immersed in the Spirit of God? Are we a church that seeks to include everybody? Are we a church that invites God's presence among us? Well, the answer to that question is, to the extent that we are, we will reflect his glory. And to the extent that we are, we will make a difference for him in our community. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a giant welcome sign out on the front yard so that no one in this community would miss it? But wouldn't it even be better if that welcome sign would be so big that it could be seen in heaven? That's the kind of church I'd like to be a part of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of Pentecost. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know that there are times in our life when we think of this as our church and we want to do things our way, but we need to be reminded that this is your church and you have ways that you desire to be done. We pray that we would be a church that would be filled with the Holy Spirit and people who would be desirous of having anyone and everyone walk through the front doors of this place. And Lord, we invite your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.